Welcome, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This is Sarah Box, your host. And today I'm very excited to introduce you to another fabulous guest. And as you know, I chat with our guests before we go live. And I'm excited for you to meet Ann Sugar. Anne has great energy, a lot of experience. Let me give you a little bit of background on her. Anne is an executive coach and speaker. She's advised top leaders at companies, get this, you will know these companies, TripAdvisor, Sanofi, Genzyme, Havas. She also, though, writes and is an executive coach for Harvard Business School. And before that, she was high-performing in the media and marketing and communication world. So with experience and education in positive psychology, as well as being a published author, Anne is gonna be a great interview today. So Anne, with that as a bit of an introduction, would you give our listeners a little more information about yourself and then we will dive in. Sure, well, thanks Sarah. I'm really excited to be on your podcast today. So just a little bit, I think, of background that might help everybody when we think about our careers. So I didn't just jump into executive coaching. Um, It was kind of a circular path for me. I've been coaching now for about 15 years. And before that, I worked in advertising. And I was a senior leader in large advertising agencies like YNR. I'm dating myself, but I worked on the launch of the Apple computer, American Express corporate card. And so I really loved create the creativity piece of it, the selling piece of it, working with clients, working in teams. But over time, that client service piece started to wear on me. And what's important, I think, is to really think about, I don't believe honestly that we should always just follow our passions, right? I'm going to go be, you know, X. But a passion for me was people. So I thought, well, how can I leverage that even more? So it's a very long story about how I moved into executive coaching, but I'm certified in all of the important you know, assessments and all of that. But I think it's important to really sit back and think about what makes us happy and what we're doing from a work perspective. And even though I'm not in advertising anymore, I still use those pieces of creativity how to sell, how to position yourself as a brand, all those things. So I think for everybody, it's kind of the sum of it all. That's so important to think about. That's a good distinction. And I really enjoyed when you talked about not getting stuck about thinking about a passion or something you start with, but really getting clear that your driving force, using my own language, is people and being able to affect Mm -hmm. them. And that there may be other ways of doing that than how you did previously. But also that nothing's ever really lost, right? You're bringing all of your past experience forward. So, Anne, you know, when I talk with folks that I coach or on the podcast, there's this tension sometimes between knowing that, and I'm going to use you as an example. So you're very successful in one career or one field, Mm -hmm. just say. And then you're shifting. and I'm assuming that there was not just like this wahoo, everything's perfect in executive coaching. My learning curve is there. I feel 100% solid. But there must have been some sort of transition time where there was a bit of unease, right? Until you get grounded. Can you talk about that piece of growth that happens from that and how that can be a benefit? 
Sure. You know, I think what what we're talking about, Sarah, is living in the space of being uncomfortable. And that definitely happened to me, right? When we think about in the beginning, I get off of, I leave a meeting, or I also do a lot of facilitation in leadership development programs. And I'd be like, oh, I didn't ask that question. I should have asked it. That was the perfect question. I didn't ask it. Or, you know, I had an unruly person in a manager development training. You know, I should have done this. You know, there's always that, you know, it's very easy to critique ourselves, but it's better to do something than nothing. That's really the way I look at it. And two, what I've learned and I've seen a lot of people do is, what's that scary thing that I can do? How can I challenge myself? a bit because that's the only way to push. And that's what I think a lot of successful people do is they're okay with living in the uncomfortable. It feels, you know, you don't know how something's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to work out where you're kind of treading through, how am I going to present this today? But it, you know, it always seems to work out. I think how you learn, you do learn and you get better over time, hopefully. Absolutely. But at some point you just have to go, I'm going in. Right. Right. You can sit on the sideline and nothing changes. Right. I know that you have a lot of experience about leadership and then thinking about how that transition, either as an individual successful leader or perhaps folks who are leading a team, a variety of sizes. So I'd like to talk about what you think are some of the key elements of both a successful leader as an individual, and then how that, if that, and how that changes as your focus becomes a team that you're leading? Right. That's a great question. I mean, there are so many things that we can talk about on this front, right? So here's one kind of lane that I think about. Okay. So what are some things, if I'm managing a team, that's really important to think about? And I always go back to trust, right? No matter what, How do I build trust on a team? Because trust on a team allows people to be creative. Okay, so, you know, I come from advertising and I think part of being creative or thinking about new ideas is having the space to put something out there, an idea that's messy and not very good, right? But all those ideas over time create these big opportunities. And it's so simple in the sense of there's so much we could talk about trust, you know, respect, all of that, but it's just simply having somebody's back. How do you motivate your team? That's just as important. And I think too, when we think about you as a leader now, part of it is really being self-aware and flexing. How do I communicate my ideas to different types of people? That's one thing that I coach on a lot because a lot of people say, well, I'm the leader. I'm the CEO. People need to flex to me. Well, yes, that's true. But if you want to motivate your team, you have to think about, well, what are the ways that I can communicate and get that person motivated from that perspective? And then lastly, I get, Sarah, I get this question asked a lot. So what makes, what are the secrets to becoming a successful leader? And I don't really think there are that many secrets, but I think that if you think about, they're not new and innovative, but it's really about learning. And a lot of the really successful people 
that I coach read a lot. And they read a lot from fiction to biographies to things about their industry, their verticals. So, you know, that's just as important. And the other two other pieces I think that are important is it's just frankly about hard work. People, you have to work hard. And then the last thing, the last component I think that I've been really seeing lately, and it's really intriguing to me, Sarah, is that people look at their careers from a serendipity perspective and that you don't need to have a five-year plan. Some of the CEOs, directors, managing partners I coach really didn't have a plan. And it's not that they let life happen to them, but they worked hard. They did all the things they were supposed to do and let things sometimes just come to them instead of forcing it. So I'm a big believer in almost having a plan every three months, not this big grand plan, you know, five-year plan. What are your, just your three month little markers and let serendipity happen from that perspective as well. I love the milestone, the three-month markers, because sometimes if you're going in the direction of your big plan, your big goal, and you're so certain that there's only one path forward, you miss the serendipitous things that come. Absolutely. Put them aside. They weren't in the plan, so they might be right. You miss them. (laughs) Someone's knocking on your door going, hello, you asked for this, and you're going, I'm sorry, not now. That's in year three. Right. Or you're just, that's a really intriguing point, sir, is that you don't focus, right? You know, there's that research study that you're supposed to focus on the person that has the white shirt on. So you focus on that person, but then at the end that you forget there's the person in the gorilla suit. I don't know if you've heard that study. It's really about, I'm really butchering that story, but it's really about what you focus on. And if you can just be open to all of it. Right. And think if you think about it, if when we're like living, surviving, right, not just day to day living, we're scanning all the time. We're mm-hmm. like, what direction do I go? Safe, unsafe. I mean, it may not even be at a conscious level, but it happens. Right. But if we're not looking, we have tunnel vision. We can't see the stuff that's coming for good or ill. Right. I do want you to talk a little more, if you would, about what hard work means versus just effort. So the distinction like focused or productive, making a difference versus just like, well, I'm working all the time and I'm busy all the time. You know, how do you, with your clients and help folks think about, there's a distinction between grinding out work that Mm -hmm. may or may not matter to really the bigger picture that you're trying to affect. Right. So it's very easy, or at least I know that I can get caught up in this. I love my email. I, I'll be the first to admit, and I, that could keep me really busy and I could grind through it, but is that the most valuable thing I should be doing all day long? Not all day long, but you know what I mean? In terms of, I should be thinking about this for my client. I need to go out and have coffee with this person. I need to be writing or researching and I'm loving my email right? That, that is busy and grinding, but it's not the right work per se. And I think I go back to, I love frameworks and things that are very practical. I still go back to Stephen Covey's four box his, uh, with, you know, what's urgent to what's long-term. 
and what I should be thinking about from a long-term perspective. I still go back to that framework that I think is really good for everybody to think about. And what we're really talking about, Sarah, is proactivity, mm-hmm. being proactive and working on the right things. It's, and it's that's right. what it is. But it does it's working on the right things. Because, you know, it yes. feels good when you check off all your emails clear, oh. your task list is done, and you're going, but that didn't advance me towards my three-month goals even. Right. right. A little funny thing I just realized. So I've been, over the years, always within an enterprise system. We've used Outlook and stuff. Yes. But then, you know, younger folks that I started working with, and now that I'm out on my own too, they're like all Outlook pain, right? Use Gmail. I'm going, I'll adapt. I don't care. I yeah. just want to be able to communicate. But then I realized <laughs> that I could click them all and just deselect the ones that matter and they're done. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I saved so much time. I don't care anymore. Because <laughs> I don't like hanging out in my email, but I need to answer. So Right, right. And you know, it's interesting. So in advertising, because it's client service, we were expected to answer emails from a client as soon as possible or within 24 hours. And there is a point where you're training people that you will get back to them immediately or right away that it's a 24 hour world. And there's a point where you have to kind of take a pause and say, and retrain people that it's not, it doesn't have to be that immediate. Right. And there are some people that it, it does need, like you're saying, oh, absolutely. coaching, those kinds of things are very personal. That's why I scan, mm-hmm. but you're right. You're training people. And I also wonder to what degree do you train people that they might, if they had just spent a couple of minutes longer thinking through a solution, they might not have emailed you. Oh, right. Well, that's, so that's, that's a, a parent big... kid kind of thing too. It's like, well, <laughs> what I did oh. do you have about fixing your broken, whatever. then we'll talk so let's the you were talking about trust and building Mm -hmm. trust and one of the examples you gave was where people can bring ideas for they don't have to be perfect they can kind of see and I really love that because I know there is especially with folks who are very high achieving this reluctance Mm -hmm. to put out things that aren't like packaged and perfect even with the group that they work with right yes so when does that line between being ready to share with your team and being ready to just kick around as an idea? Is there a line? And how do you get people willing to put themselves out? So I think part of this, so if we took even a bigger step back and thought about a root cause about this, I think a lot of it has to do with, we all want to be the smartest guy or gal in the room. And that piece, and you know, what's interesting it's not always good to be the smartest guy or gal in the room because you need to get those other ideas and at a, from your team or at a certain point, if you're always, you know, always speaking, then it starts to kind of become the wah, 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 and people don't listen to you. So I think, you know, how do you think about, I'm going to share a half-baked idea or something that's tied up in a very pretty PowerPoint presentation? And I think it depends upon the person that, or the team or the client that you're working with, right? If you have, if you're going in front of the board, maybe they want to see it in a nice organized PowerPoint presentation, you know, not scratched out on a napkin. But if you're with 
somebody else, maybe it is something that you scratch out on a napkin. It really depends upon the context is what we're talking about. So in teamwork, say you and I are a team, right? And we're pulling something together and our final Mm -hmm. product is going to be tight because it's going to a client or it's going to the board or whomever because it right. be tight at that point. Yes. But you and I don't know each other that well, let's say. So how do we build trust where like you throw something out and I'm going, are you kidding? You didn't spell check that versus, okay, well, we can work with that. Right. So is there a distinction in teams? Because I'm thinking of sometimes where you've got the quiet people on the team who have the ideas, but they're not going to share them because they, maybe they're introverts. Or they haven't fleshed them out enough to feel comfortable. So as a leader, assuming I'm a leader, is there a best course of action to really get those folks willing to say, hey, I'm stepping up. I'm good for sharing this. So I think there's a couple things. And one is feedback. Always creating a feedback loop in terms of, hey, I want to hear your idea. Or as we need to put this presentation together, I need to make sure that you spell check this and give and stating what you need, but also giving the feedback, not from a personal perspective, but from the, how do you say it based on the situation, not the person for this presentation, the PowerPoint deck needs to be spell checked. Not you didn't spell check this. You made a big mess of this. It's, you know, How do you look at it from a very systematic situation approach? And two, and I get this from brainstorming and from an advertising piece, is to have people, if you're the leader, don't give the ideas first. Let everybody else give those ideas. Or one other kind of tactic we used to use was everybody got sticky notes and you had to put down your your ideas. I mean, it's an oldie but goodie. So that it kind of eliminates the noise out there as well. And I think too, if Sarah, if we talk about it from a coaching perspective, how do you get those good ideas out? Somebody might say to me, well, what do you think I should do? And what I'll say back to them is you tell me three ideas first, and then I'll give you an idea so that it doesn't cloud them with what I, what idea I might have. What a great way to build other leaders too. It's asking a good question. Of what you need in that situation, basically. When folks come to you as new clients, and what typically is one of their, if there is a typical, one of their biggest concerns or what brings them to you in the first place? Do you see a thematic kind of trend across people who finally say, hey, Anne? Well, so first of all, if I take a step back, I think a lot of this has to do with people that I work with are high potential folks and they want to tweak little things. And I like to say it's the little details in making just the 10% changes, the 1% changes. That's what people are coming to me about. You know, it could be communication. It can be self-awareness. It can be empathy. It can be how I communicate up, down, give feedback, all sorts of things like that. So I know one of my challenges has been, I'm getting better, but only because someone actually told me, hey, you could have asked me to do that. I could have done it faster and you wouldn't have to worry about it. I'm going, that's a thought. But oh, 
To what degree does the reluctance or difficulty with delegating and asking for help come up for your clients? And uh, some of your thoughts about that. So interestingly enough, I say this when I do executive training, I do a, a module on delegation. And I say this to everybody that there is not one person that I have coached CEO to director to supervisor that can't do some work on delegation. So, you know, we always say, right, everything that crosses your desk, your email, touch it, who can I delegate to? But I actually just wrote a a piece in Harvard Business Review about, okay, so what happens if you over-delegate? What does that look like? And what can you do to kind of bring it back towards the middle? And there really isn't a specific kind of component that says, oh, I'm over-delegating. But if you think about it, if you're leading a team, you kind of get a pause like, oh, I didn't know that that was happening in my group. Or, oh, this document is not the way I would have wanted it to be. Or any of those sorts of things. That could be a reason that you might be over-delegating. And so how do you really think about slowly kind of getting your toes back into the day-to-day? It's not saying you have to get into the day-to-day, but sometimes we elevate ourselves so far out of the day-to-day that we don't know what's really going on. Or we elevate ourselves out of communicating the vision. As a president, the vision or the mission, however you want to define that, is you can never communicate that enough. And some people think they've communicated that, and that's almost over-delegating as well. I'm, over, I'm delegating my vision of how I want things to run to people underneath me. So, you know, those are some of the ways. I think another way to kind of bring yourself back in is have an offsite. I had a CTO that I was working with who was getting really frustrated because people weren't working on the internal projects. They were working only on the client projects. And he really felt strongly that those internal projects were really important. So what he did was he had an offsite to reset everybody in terms of what was the importance of the vision of doing those internal projects and creating a dashboard so that he could measure what people were working on. So it's kind of that, that subtle tiptoe in. When you think about if you've over-delegating. So as you're talking about that, and I can own that that has happened to me in the past too. It's like you're thinking, how did that turn left, right? Well, if I come back and I go, well, because you quit talking about it, right? Or paying attention, or you assumed someone else was doing it, right? You have to own that as a leader. Is there a place at which dipping your toe back in when you've given responsibility to other people starts to look like micromanagement or can it look like that? Yes. You know, I think, and people ask me, okay, so where's the point that I've stepped in too much? And the hard part is there is no specific rule of thumb. You have to use your gut and intuition. Am I stepping in back in too much? Am I making all the decisions for the team? Am I, you know, the 80 20 rule, right? If it says what it should say, do I need to really get in there and edit every single comma and period, right? Because that's demotivating too. Absolutely. You know, so there's a fine line, and each person has to find it for themselves, unfortunately or fortunately. Well, it is a lot. 
piece, right? Yes. So I'm going to ask you to share your story. So one of the things that I had asked you even before the interview was to share Mm -hmm. something folks might not know about you. And when I read that, and be surprised to know about you. And when I read (laughs) your response to that, first of all, I I just went, wow, that's pretty powerful. And then as we just touched on it briefly, you mentioned that it has some linkages to this work as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. would you share with the listeners what that surprise piece was and kind of some takeaways from it? Sure. So I had always wanted to do a sprint triathlon. I don't know why that's what I wanted to do. And as I was starting to train for my first go at it, I found out that I had breast cancer. This is six years ago. Everything is great now. So I had to stop. I couldn't do it. And so after I had finished everything and I was feeling pretty good, I'm like, okay, time to go back, second try. And I failed miserably. In the middle of training, I got really sick with like a flu because I was overtraining. And I would, you know, go in and I would swim the five miles and then I would go and and run the three. That's too much, which I didn't understand. But the third try, I thought, okay, I'm going to get a trainer. He's going to put me on a schedule and I'm going to train the way I need to train. And I did it on the third try. And I... It was not a pretty finish, Sarah. (laughs) I got over the finish line, but I was exhausted. I couldn't finish the three miles. I had to walk the last little bit of it. And I did exactly what the trainer told me not to do was when I jumped in the pool for the half mile swim. And it was an indoor at this point in the winter here in Boston. I overswam so that I was exhausted when I came out of the pool. I was a bad coachee, (laughs) but I think, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned in this in terms of a lot of the things that we want to do, we need a team or we need people to help us along the way and leverage people's expertise. He had a specific plan of what I did every single day for three months to get myself ready. And two, it took me three tries, but I got there. And I think that that's really important is to just, it's a lot of this, a lot of the things that we want to do as a leader or whatever that is, it's about perseverance and the grit of that. You know, I've had some pieces rejected from, you know, even from a writing perspective, rejected, you know, this piece isn't going to work and some do, you just kind of have to persevere through that. So, and it doesn't have to be pretty just as long as you cross the finish line. So (laughs) it's such a quotable quote, you know, just finish, just finish. It was not pretty. Well, and you can't get onto the next thing, right? Until you make your second sprint, you couldn't even start your third. You had to keep going with it. So congratulations on coming across in whatever shape it was. (laughs) Because I think there's some personality there going, I think I could swim a little harder than the coach said, and I'll be good. Right. Oh, or just, yeah, you know, oh, I got overexcited. You know, yeah. they just said, <laughs> I'm going to swim, swim, you know. <laughs> well, and I have never done any kind of race like that, but I did volunteer at a sprint triathlon. And I will tell you when they went, it was in a lake, but yep. when those guys went in that lake in really cold weather, 
Oh, I mean, yeah. the water's cold because it's a mountain lake. Yeah. But I was going, wow, you guys are pretty amazing, right? But you could see the adrenaline thing. And it's and hard to control. Finish. Yeah, of course. It's a- and it's also hard, I bet. Well, at least it was for me because you can feel people at, on your feet. So you need to swim. You know, you're swimming even faster. <laughs> it's like feeling someone in the car behind you going, get off my bumper, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. But at least while they're swimming, you can't have road rage. I guess you could have lane rage or something. You got, Well, oh, so here's the interesting thing, though. When you're switching a lane, which I did, you have to be very careful because you cannot touch the person that you're going around. You have to be very careful. There's a lot of rules. So I think it probably has made you even a better coach. (laughs) I know what you're thinking right now. We're not doing that. (laughs) So, Anne, one of the questions that our listeners have asked me to ask of everybody, so I do, is if you were thinking of Anne way back when you were like 10, 11, 12, preteen, maybe, knowing the path you've come now, is there any nugget of advice you would give yourself at that age, that might be helpful? Oh, that's a great question. There's a couple of things swirling around in my head. I think, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I don't know what I really want to do. I think one thing that I can vividly remember is I always wanted to be a writer. And I can remember sitting at my father's big wood oak desk in his office as a little kid and I would write these little stories on this pads of paper and he'd say, go back and write another one. I think it was him just saying, get out of my hair. But I would write all of these stories and I stopped writing for years. I went to college and I wrote in college and I, I wrote for work, but I really stopped writing for many, many years. And if I had told myself, you know, a story I think I would say is, go back and look at when you were a kid, what were things, a child, what were things that you were interested in? And that doesn't mean that you can't pick it up again. So for example, now I used to love to write poetry. I'm starting to write poetry again. I took a poetry class. So I think it's, and I love coaching and all of that piece to it, but the writing piece also helps me be more creative. Yeah. So I think in a roundabout way, thinking about all those interesting hobbies that you might have makes you a better, well-rounded leader, coach, whatever that is. Well, you've inspired me to go find and dust off an old unicycle and see if I can... Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to need like little walker thing to get my balance. Uh, but it's, that's great. It's a good reminder of that. And I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. I'm really excited to get to share you with folks. We'll put a link to your article Um, Mm -hmm. I'm an avid HBR reader anyway, so I'm happy to share that. And perfect. how can folks best get a hold of you, though, if they want to reach out and know more about you or get connected? Sure. So there's two ways that are best is on my website, annsugar.com. So it's A-N-N-E, sugar, just like sugar, S-U-G-A-R.com. And I have an email capture there, or you can communicate with me there. Also, another great way is to follow me on LinkedIn. Every day I post articles, ideas. I feel very, very passionate about sharing articles and ideas for people to learn. So for everybody. So that's another way to uh, communicate and reach out to me. 
All right. We'll make sure that's on the link to the podcast so people can make it easy. But honestly, your name is easy to remember and sugar with an E and with an yes. E. And I'll make sure, I think I am, but I'll make sure I'm following you on LinkedIn so I can get your articles and pass on to other folks who I know are interested in either specific topics or broadly. So Fantastic. That'd be great. Oh, and thanks so much. And have a great rest of your day. And as we go into the weekend, the same there. Oh, you too, Sarah. It's great talking to you today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you like what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a No Labels, no limits and no excuses life.